All right. Uh, welcome to the decompression chamber. I'm your host, Andrea, and joining me today is Senior Chief Lisa Dollhouse. And uh, old habits die hard. I was just one of her sailors not too long ago. How are you doing today, Senior Chief? I'm doing great, and I'm excited to be on your podcast and see your your other world outside of the military. Yes, yes, it's uh, it's in constant <laughs> development. So thank you so much for for coming on, and, and all the way from Germany too. Absolutely, yeah, I'm making time for you. I'm uh, six hours ahead of you. So. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So all right. So about yeah, about six thirty, back there, eighteen thirty. Yeah. Let's be let's be real. All right. Well, we'll start right at the beginning. Uh, where are you from? So I was born in Jamaica. Oh wow. I moved to yeah, I moved to New York when I was ten years old. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, but I was born in Jamaica. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, what part of Brooklyn? <laughs> um. East New York. Grew up in East New York, Brooklyn. Um, currently live in Queens, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. When I when I first moved out to New York, I was in uh, Cypress Hills. So. Okay. Not too far from from the East New York. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of right there. But uh, I. The jungle. I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't didn't last too long there. But uh, okay. Great. So, um, growing up in in Brooklyn. Um, you know, what, what was your upbringing like? Did you ever think about the military? Okay. Um, so growing up in Brooklyn, I grew up with my grandmother, actually. My mom actually still lives in Jamaica. Oh, wow. And I grew up with my grandmother, so um, did not have a lot of military influence. Uh, education was a big part of my family structure. Like my aunt, I grew up in a household where we had, you know, Brooklyn multifamily homes in New York. Sure. So I had a family structure where we had different family members living in different units of the house, three family home. Mm-hmm. And everyone focused on education. Um, that's a huge thing uh, with, you know, immigrants and just you oh, know yeah. immigrants from the Caribbean, always just trying to figure out what's the educational routes for a better life for your children. So uh, my aunt was a teacher. Oh, wow. So. In a household with a teacher so that was I was very um overbearing sometimes in a sense right because you're always feeling yeah. like you have to live up to perfect standard um, but I had a pretty great childhood grew up with a lot of family around cousins but didn't know anyone in the military mm-hmm. uh, my first uh connection to the military was actually my best friend her sister her older sister oh. while we were in high school she was in Bahrain in the military and she would come home and visit and I would kind of get a little curious about what is she doing? Yeah. Like yeah. she's making money and living a good life. Sure. Um, so that started my curiosity about it, but no family ties. Um, I did later find out I had um, a Marine cousin, okay. an ex-Marine cousin. Mm-hmm. And when I told him I wanted to go to the military, he <laughs> told me absolutely not. So it wasn't <laughs> like encouragement. Uh, it wasn't an encouraging cousin. They actually brought him to talk to me, to talk me out of the military when I told him I wanted to go to the military. Well, I mean, as we've learned uh, throughout our own years of service, Marines definitely have a different experience. And it sounds like they, the, sister, they do. the sister of your friend, if she was in Bahrain, I mean, was she Navy and probably? Yeah, she was in the Navy. So she okay. was in the Navy. Um, she left home at, you know, 18, joined the military, was doing pretty well for herself. Mm-hmm. And my best friend always spoke about her with admiration. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in high school just trying to figure out what we wanted to do. I also had always had a passion for travel and seeing the world. 
So the more I learned about the Navy, I felt like it aligned with what I wanted to do as far as my goals. And oh, yeah. for some reason, college just was not speaking to me as my next step. But there was yeah. a lot of pressure for me to go to college in my of household. Course. It was tough yeah. coming home and saying, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> oh, I especially in as you mentioned with the emphasis being on education, but uh, it, and I, I think it really was for my family too. But if you don't know what you want to study, boy, college is an expensive uh, exactly. exploratory route to go. Let's say <laughs> if you don't know what you want to exactly. do, yeah. Exactly. And I grew up with my grandmother, so there was also that for me that personal. I don't want to put that kind of financial burden on her. My grandmother was already um, in her older years. She was still working, in, but just thinking about being able to, you know, provide for myself in a way that didn't put that burden on her, where she would have to figure out how she's going to help me pay for college and oh, yeah. all those things put factor in me wanting to, like, break away independently as soon as I turned 18. Yeah. And the military was definitely an outlet for that. So no regrets in that aspect at all. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, okay, so decide Navy's Navy's the way to go. Um, now there's been kind of a common theme in, in these shows, but it's probably from your own experience of recruiters just saying whatever they need to say to get you to sign. So what was your uh, experience like with your Honestly, recruiter? I did not have that experience because my best friend and I, and another friend, we all sat down and we decided we were all three of us were going to the military, mm-hmm. right? To the navy we had it all planned out we actually went and sought out the recruiters oh good and we joined the navy so we were easy cells this is what <laughs> we wanted to do. yep where do we sign what's the deal yeah but the funny story about that is so we were all supposed to leave at the same time on you know they have the buddy program whatever yeah. that program was called and for whatever reason i don't know where we went wrong here but <laughs> i ended up camp first Oh no! And by the time I got to boot camp, I, I got the letters of, oh, I won't be joining right now. Or one of my other friends actually joined the army. What? After she had already a Navy contract. Oh, man. Man. The <laughs> so old yeah, I ended up being the lone, the lone sailor uh, when I first got to boot camp. Oh, um, but geez. what's interesting, too, about my career path is that I actually was in boot camp. So one of the other things besides education that my family was concerned about was that just like your child going to war or being involved in conflict. And at that time, this is 2001 when I joined the military. So oh, I'm wow. like, when is the last time America been to war? Whatever. What are you guys talking about? You're crazy. Yeah. I joined yep. the military. I went to boot camp September 5th, 2001. Holy Six cow. later, September 11th happened while I was in boot camp. Wow. And my family was completely like, what the heck did you do with your life? Kind oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, man. What? Yeah, it was it was tough. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a thing to think, well, you know, probably the whole time that I'm in, if it's just an enlistment, no yeah. more. And in six days into, you know, probably not even out of P days. <laughs> I, was at, I was in the dental area waiting for my dental checkup on P days. And, oh, you know, recruiters came in and said, hey, if you're from New York, here, here, come to this side. At that time, no one really knew, like you oh, probably, yeah. I don't know where you were. No one knew what was going on. We just knew there was something that happened in New York and D.C. and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. of course, as it unfolded, you know, it was tough because people sure. had a lot of family in these areas that passed away. So there was constant oh, yeah. crying 
every day that someone would get updated information from home about the attacks. Yeah. And then it just created a lot of uncertainty and chaos in boot camp because we were scared. We were 18 and we're like, does this mean we're going to war? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it, it just like changed the trajectory. Like I joined the military for a good time to travel and get my education. I mean, education was still on the forefront of my mind, but I wanted it to be free. Yes. And that was my goal. And my trajectory of being in the military completely changed because now it was oh, like yeah. a more serious thing. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you have your own goals, but those have to be uh, somewhat aligned with the with the backdrop and circumstances of the world. And when it changes exactly. that radically, oh boy, Very radically. <laughs> yeah, Very radically. So it was it was uh, it was a different mindset leaving than when I went in. Oh yeah, yeah, radically different. Wow. So okay, so you you get to your boot camp, so you graduate what like early November ish. Yeah, uh, graduated early November-ish, didn't have any orders. Oh. Um, I was like one of those sailors that they called everyone's name for their orders. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't, hey, I, my name wasn't called. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to figure out what's going on. And, of course, um, I found out the reason I didn't have orders because I was going overseas. I was actually going to Italy. Oh, wow. And I had to do, like, the pre-screening, the overseas screening and all these different things. So I had to actually stay behind longer to get my clearance to go overseas and everything. So my first duty station was La Maddalena, Italy. Nice. And I Remember your dream sheet, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, which usually is crumpled up and thrown camp. away. Yeah. And I was a traveler. Of course, everyone was like, oh, they're never going to send you anywhere you want to go. So you might as well just put Virginia, mm-hmm. which is where I thought I was going to end up. Yeah. And yeah. I was thinking like Spain and Italy and all these places. And then when they told me I'm going to Italy, I'm like, what? <laughs> you guys would me for that. Excellent. So, yeah, that was my first journey. I was on a ship. Um, AS-39, um, so it was a submarine tender. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not not Every, a bad first deal. <laughs> the love boat, yeah. <laughs> the love boat? <laughs> the love boat, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, any, is that just historically what the what the name is, what the nickname is, or...? <laughs> It is a, a, a submarine tender, so it has a it had a lot that was a ship that had like one of the largest populations of females. Oh it was like a twenty ratio of females to males on that ship. Wow. Yeah. And I, I don't think there was many ships out there like that. And of course you would have the submarines pull in, you've been in the Navy. Oh yeah. The love connection that happened within two days and so yeah, it just got this name, the love boat. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, um, how long were you in Italy for? Just two years? I was or? in Italy. I was in Italy for two years. So I went into the Navy undesignated. Okay. okay. And that's because I wanted to leave right away. Yep. I did not want to delay and change my mind and get convinced to go to college. So mm-hmm. they were like, "Well, the to go right now is if you take this program, the uh, delayed, you know, the undesignated program, yeah. whatever." I was in cell. They didn't have to trick me. <laughs> yeah. It sounded great. I did. So I got to my ship. I was an undesignated seaman and I actually became a jet engine mechanic because I struck into the AD rate while I was there. Okay. So it kept out my four year orders, cut it in half, sent me to A school. So, yeah. Okay. Not, not too bad. Not uh, bad. No, no. Where, where was A school at? 
A school was in Pensacola, Florida. Another not too bad duty station. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was tough because I was, of course, learning a whole different language, learning how to be a mechanic on air. Uh, actually, I was learning how to be a mechanic on jets, helos, the whole nine, just like, you know, foreign language. Thought I was getting away from school, mm-hmm. but a lot of school involved. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. How, how long of an A school is that? I believe it was an eight-week school, but once okay. you do your eight-week school, once you decided, like, what platform, so I decided to go the Hilo route, I had to go to an additional eight weeks of school to learn about Hilo, so about 16 weeks total. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> pretty Yeah, pretty strenuous, but uh, okay, so you, you get your 16 weeks of schooling out of the way, uh, you get orders at the end of all of that, or, or where do they send yeah. you? I end up in San Diego, California. You're pulling a straight flush. This is not, disclaimer, not indicative of future results. (laughs) Yeah, I end up in North Island, California. And uh, of course, you know, California is beautiful. The weather is great. Not too sure. But there was one issue. I was was a New Yorker without a car that didn't know how to drive. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. It's not like. Yeah, getting your license in New York City, uh-uh, doesn't happen. Yeah, that wasn't even a thing. That wasn't even something I thought about. And then I got to San Diego, and everyone else is like, oh, I'm moving out of town. I'm going here. And I'm like, uh-oh, Yeah, you what, got a problem. What am I going to do? Oh, boy. Yeah. So how <laughs> how long did it take you to, to drive a car? I mean, you have to learn from friends or? I So my I didn't even get my license in California. Oh, So really? I took the test in California, and I did not pass. I only took it once. Yeah. So I lived out in town anyway. I lived in Coronado, which is like mm-hmm. right next to the pretty nice area. Oh, yeah. Don't know what an was doing living in Coronado at that time. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so one of my friends attempted to teach me how to drive. Yeah. Um, so I went on his car a few times. And then the craziest story is as an airman, I go to, I'm in a squadron and mm-hmm. there's this New Year my it's not it wasn't my lpo but he was an e6 and the other bunch of other sailors that were there mm-hmm. and they're like we're going out to our house we're going out for new year's eve um do you want to be our designated driver <laughs> and i'm like i don't have a license i have my permit they're yeah. like oh yeah you'll be fine yeah of so course. of course i they take so they pick me up we go to whoever's house they're staging at and this this sailor has like an expedition you know like those really big yeah, Ford yeah. And they like hand me the keys. Oh, I boy. get in the car. I'm knocking over everything, and oh. we get on the highway. <laughs> oh boy, let's knock things over at a high rate of speed now. <laughs> very slowly, very yeah. slowly. I was cautious, and I get on the highway. And we get pulled over like four minutes into the drive because oh, I'm like man. all over the road. Yeah. And the, surprisingly, they pull us over. I show my permit. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble. I'm like, it's nighttime. I'm not even supposed to be driving with a permit. But yeah, for yeah. whatever reason, you know, they let us go. They were like, oh okay, just be careful. Yeah, and yeah. And I drive to the club oh, <laughs> somehow, man. and then I drive them back home, knocking over everything. <laughs> but they got to the club and they weren't driving because they were gonna be drinking. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, that was my my road test. I didn't get my license until I went to my next duty station. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cops do tend to be fairly forgiven, forgiving of designated drivers. They're like, you're, it's only going to get rougher yeah. from here. Let's not start off on the wrong foot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It was quite the adventure. 
<laughs> awesome. So where was your next duty station where they had a more forgiving driver's test? Oh, uh, Virginia. Okay. So then, then it all started going downhill now. <laughs> so, so I was, um, so then I, I actually wanted to come back to the East Coast. I had spent two years overseas to, you know, not yeah. being close to family friends. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the East Coast, actually got it. I went to AIMD, which is like the intermediate maintenance for aviation, where you actually work on the engines. Like mm-hmm. you fix the engines, you're not on any of the airplanes or anything. Yeah. So I ended up there in Norfolk, uh, Virginia. So I was there for two years. Okay. So the good thing about that first split tour was that every duty station I've been to since then was only two-year orders, no matter if it was sea or short duty. That's so. That's not too bad. Keep keep the changes coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if it's uh not not your cup of tea, it's only two years. You know. Yeah, that's all I have to keep thinking. Oh, I'm only here for two years. As soon as you get used to me, I'm gone. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's not not a bad way to be. So, um, okay, so that's uh that's your active duty time. I mean, you, did you stay in after Virginia or? So I actually did two different commands in Virginia. So I did AIMD for two years, and then I left AIMD and I went to a fighter jet squadron. So I worked on F-18s oh, nice. for two years. By then I was like 82, $82 dollhouse. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I got there. Actually, my contract was almost up. I only had like a year and change left on my contract. And of course, some sea lawyer convinced mm-hmm. me. Oh, we're good. They were going on deployment on the, on the Roosevelt at the time, okay. and they were like, "Well, we're going on deployment." You want to get out, you might as well go on deployment, save some money, which was very smart. It was a good, it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I went on deployment with them and I came back and then I got out. So I spent eight years on active duty before I left in 2009. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, in 2009, that was right about the time I was coming in. So kind of. Oh, wow. <laughs> different ratings. It's not like we tag teamed out by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, wow. but... Okay. So 2009, it's, it's time to be a civilian again or were you getting out off active duty to go into reserves or what was the plan i knew i was going to join the reserves um it was really hard for me to join the reserves like once you're active duty they don't care about recruiting you at all yeah i, I had to, like call down that office and stop people for them to get back to me so i knew i wanted to join the reserves but I, my primary focus getting out of active duty was going to school i wanted to now i was all about the education right that right. forces me to eight years prior um so i got out and i started my bachelor's i did my bachelor's in aviation management because i thought that was my path yeah so even after eight years you still think you know your path right yeah yeah and yeah <laughs> that was i'm not doing anything with aviation now but that was where the, the baseline started but i also I've, I've always been in the military or getting out of the military at pinnacle events in history which I got out of the military in 2009. It was the recession. It yes. was that whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a rough time. <laughs> it was a rough time um, and really hard transition initially because I also got out when that was the first year they started using the post 9-11 GI Bill. Right, and right, yeah. Yeah, so I was excited because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be getting BAH to go to school and all these things. But I started school in August of 2009. Mm-hmm. And I did not get paid for six months oh. while I was in school. So oh. all that money had saved on deployment. I mean, thank God for it because I was oh. living off my savings. 
because I was not working. I had just transitioned from the military. My goal was to go to school. Right. right. And living in New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It ain't cheap. <laughs> Take it from me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So, yeah, it was a rough start to my civilian life. Um, oh, yeah. Initially. Yeah. yeah. That's a rough transition. But, it, I mean, it, you didn't get paid for, for six months. I mean, did they... Did any of the money that they did pay you pay you back for the savings that you, you dug into or what it is is like once the money is spent, <laughs> like it's gone and the trying to bridge the gap is like, yeah, you got now you were able to puddle forward, mm-hmm. but you couldn't have went back and amend like all the money that was already spent that yeah, you, you can't get that money back. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But you- I- and all that but it was a little too late i had already spent the money and gotten into all kind of other debts and stuff with trying to you know yeah it the post 9 11 was was a great it's a great idea it's head and shoulders above montgomery gi bill but as with any program the implementation is always an unmitigated disaster there's so many things i didn't think about uh that was for the disaster yeah (laughs) they were so backed up didn't anticipate so many people using it so the regional offices were so flooded with applications that of course they couldn't process quickly enough yeah wow uh, uh terrible now did <laughs> did you have some college credits uh from your military service yeah. that apply okay so while i was in the military like i said education had never been something that was like i was completely against education i just knew i didn't want to go to college right after i left high school yeah but i had taking college credits and of course I had credits from the military so I did get some of those college credits transferred over mm-hmm. and I only had years for my bachelor's when I got out oh that's fantastic yeah. that was kind of a game in, a, in a sense yeah good good well then yeah no, the eight years in the in the military definitely paid off in it, terms it of experience and education <laughs> good absolutely absolutely that's great um so uh, with reserves, I mean, you said it was really difficult to join. Did you have like a break in service or were you able to? No, get I did in service. So I got out in, I want to say I got off active duty maybe April, end of April, and then, you know, terminated all that stuff. So by June, I was actually in the reserves. Okay. But I had taken a lot of phone calls, a lot of like, you know, taking people down. So I joined the reserves. And of course, I get in the reserves and they're like, well, you can't stay. Uh, AD, you have to change your job. Ah, uh, so, yeah, yeah. They don't um, want reservists working course, on planes, usually. <laughs> no, they're like, they're overcrowded, you can't stay. And I'm like, what? Like, I, I love my job. I love the aviation. Like I said, I went to college to be an aviation manager. So yeah. Um, when they told me that, I was devastated. And of course, you're so attached to your rate in the military. Of course. And they presented me with the options of what, when, who. And I'm like, what? And then, you know, yeah. again, a salty, some salty sea lawyer was like, oh, you should pick Bozeman. I'm like, Bozeman? No way. Yeah. Absolutely not. I was an undesignated seaman. I vowed I would never become a Bozeman, yeah. which is why I struck the sea. And, yeah. you know, they were just like, hey, it's a, in the reserves, it's a good path to upward mobility, mm-hmm. unlike a lot of the other rates. So, sure. And um, so I struck into Bozeman, taking their advice, and it has been very fruitful for me so i'm glad i made that decision that's great great um now did you have to go to uh to a school or it was just no, cross right right over no pretty much i took the test so i was already in second class eligible for first class when i got into reserves and when i took the test 
I actually passed and became a BM1 wow. on my first knowing nothing about being a BM or That's any awesome. of that advanced technical knowledge you would need for a BM1, but yeah, yeah it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, nothing, nothing wrong with that. That's great. Um, all right. So uh, now were you, other question was when you got off active duty and reserves and everything else, were you back in New York City and in, in East New York or different part? So back to New York City. I lived in uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant, so Bed-Stuy. Mm -hmm. yep. And um, when I came back, I, you know, I had a realtor, all these things, because I was a bit more financial well-off than I was when I left. I was 18. Sure. But the crazy thing is, like, when you leave New York at such a young age, you forget, like, you forget you haven't experienced New York as an adult. So oh, being an right. adult in New York was very new to me. Like, I hadn't been an adult. I was a child when I left. That's so true. got a realtor and they were like trying to sell me on bed style. And I'm like, when I left New York, bed style, do or die. Yes. It was not yes. like, not the place but you know, it's very gentrified now. So he was, this was like what, 12 years ago. So he was mm -hmm. like, Hey, it's a up and coming. The neighborhoods are changing. And I'm like, right. whatever. I don't believe you, but it did. So I got into bed style very early. So nice. yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience. I uh, I left the town I, I was born and raised in, at, again, about 18, 19. And uh, I didn't, you know, went back much later as an adult after I'd already been in the Navy. And, you know, just going to a bar, it was like, oh, yeah, there's bars here. I just never went because I, was, yeah. I wasn't 21 and it just didn't occur to me. And driving around and everything else. Yeah, it's a weird, weird experience going yeah. back to your hometown as an adult. Adult. yeah it's very and i think sometimes that causes a lot of challenges because it's not what you thought it was when you left and not what you knew because you've never experienced it that way right right and it been there's been changes too <laughs> i mean yeah. my hometown is certainly different than than when i grew up and uh you know it's as you mentioned like bed is is certainly different from yeah from what you remember Absolutely. yeah i also remember when I when I went home the first time, so I went home and when I was in Italy on the the you could work for the recruiter like you go back home you work for the recruiter yeah. you get a free leave. I took full advantage of that. Of course. And when I came home and I went to East New York, I was like, oh my gosh, I lived here. Like yeah. it was just like, dirtier and just crazier. And I but growing up, this was home, so it's like, oh, this is normal stuff. Right. But my right. land completely shifted when I went. I'm like, oh my gosh, I did not realize I lived in like such a dump. You know, I'm not <laughs> like in that. It's like, yeah. New York is gritty. You know, it's gritty. And I did not realize it because I was in it. So I couldn't see how gritty it was until I came back. Right. Yeah. Lots to be said for, for getting a different perspective on yeah on life and, and everything else, you know, being able to, to live yeah. all over and meet different people. Yeah. And then you go back and it's like, oh yeah, this like, is... Mm, yeah, Maybe not my cup of tea. <laughs> Back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So, okay. So you you get your bachelor's degree in in two years. You make BM one. Um, and are you drilling out of the Bronx at this point? Yeah. Okay. I was drilling out of the Bronx. Um, after I finished school, I actually started working for British Airways. Okay. Um, and I wasn't getting paid anything of course because like the, the aviation industry is based on all seniority based everything is sure. like you start down level and until you get seniority you're just right. you're just where you are 
Right. So started working for British Airways and I'm like struggling, like, oh my gosh, I got bills to pay. I mean, I'm an, I'm an adult that have been on my own for a long time Yeah. and living on the New York economy, no more BAH, none of that fancy stuff I was getting. Yeah. So I was, I was grinding really hard and um, it was tough. And also the reserves, of course, you're not getting paid much of anything. I was a BM1 then. It's like you're getting paid maybe $300 if that per right. pay, you know, so it wasn't much help and um, started looking for other opportunities in aviation. So I ended up crossing over to work for JetBlue, which was a little better, yeah. but still money I was used to. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I'm just agreeing. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So I started like saying, OK, I love working in aviation. It's my passion. Um, and but how else can I supplement my income? Yeah. So I started like more into veteran resources because again i got out of the military during the time of the major recession there was a lot of focus on veterans and you know programs for veterans so they had the workforce development program which is like workforce one now that everyone knows it as but they actually had dedicated workforce ones that only veterans could go to mm-hmm. so i stopped there like hey maybe i'll find a part-time job to supplement my jet blue life whatever yeah yeah and um i ended up meeting someone that told me about this program like it's actually the company i work for now and i went there because i knew they helped veterans with employment etc yeah and i met a senior he was a, also an ad what a coincidence so we <laughs> nice and before i left there he was like hey send me your resume we may have like this peer coordinator position working with veterans that you know may help you out if you're interested so i sent my resume mm. over HR ended up calling me, but I was also a career counselor in the reserves. Okay. So they saw that I focused on like counseling and like creating, you know, plans and things like that. Great. So they actually offered me a position that was not the position I applied for. <laughs> good. So a That's a good HR department. Yeah. And it paid really well. So Fantastic. for the first five months of working for that company, I worked both jobs. So I would be at oh, JetBlue and I worked the evening shift at JetBlue and I would get off because the airplanes, you know, they break, they, the weather, da, da, whatever, never on time. So yeah, my schedule was supposed to be off like at midnight and mm-hmm. then I would end up being off four o'clock in the morning. And then I had to be at work at eight for my other job. Holy cow. But I was so like enthralled that I wanted to stay aviation that I did not want to let that go. And, and I had to make a choice. I had to like get the, oh, the yeah. blinders off and just look at the bigger picture. So I ended up leaving JetBlue and just focusing on the job I'm in now. And That's it great. has done wonders for my career because, yeah, I started as a case manager and now I'm like the director of the program. So Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And and what's the name of the company again? It's called Services for the Underserved and they provide housing and employment services. So I manage a grant that we work directly with the Department of Labor. It's funded by the Department of Labor Okay. Uh, for that need to reintegrate into employment world mm-hmm. per se okay, as well we we're funded by the va for the housing portion okay that's great and uh and how long have you been with them now uh eight years over eight years wow yeah wow and um of course you're you're on orders now and, and overseas is this uh first time that you've been on orders with the, while you're with this company or had that experience before yeah it is it's my first time um 
once I got my bachelor's and I started working for them, I did my master's in public administration. And then um, while I was in school and I was in that, you know, that two year protective window, I actually got tagged for Mo to go to Kuwait. And I was like, nope, you can't tag me. I just got off active duty mm-hmm. and never thought about moving again because I felt like I had already given so much to the military that I wanted to focus on building my civilian life. Yeah. And I, like I left active duty for a reason. I was not looking back that way. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I avoided Mobin for a long time. Not avoided, but it just wasn't something I ever raised my hand for because I just wasn't that interested. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was definitely a feeling I had when I first joined the reserves. I thought, yeah, you know, I'll go on maybe go for on a mobilization. But after about two or three years, I went, oh no, I don't want that at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to do. Yeah start my anti-mobilization <laughs> dance, whatever I have to do to just run exactly. out the clock. So, um, exactly. so I, a long time myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, did you get tagged for, for Germany or did you volunteer? Well, my employer made me look. No, I, I volunteered because they, they had a need for, I have the senior listed uh, NEC, which yes. was a, a requirement for this role. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of, out and and I said, hey, okay, I'll do it. Sounds like a good gig. Germany, how bad can it be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find out. Uh, <laughs> now, is this for one year or two? It's for one year. Okay. One. Couple. So now, few months. Figured time. I could talk. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, so I got here. Yeah, I got here in uh, June. The time is flying. I'll oh, yeah. say that. I'm pretty busy here. It's, it's a lot heavy lifting and it's a lot of so it's funny that the name of your, your podcast like deals with the decompression because that's that's what we do here like the we i work for the warrior transition program mm-hmm. so cells are deployed into egregious environments they all have they're required to come here to decompress before they get back to the states yeah. so they are regular life. So it's like a four-day program mm-hmm. so yeah. try to get them to clear their minds yeah. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about transportation being what it is now versus you know fifty or a hundred years ago. The the contrast of just flying, basically from a combat zone or a very high stress and deployed environment back home is like you can't comprehend that. That's yeah. not natural. So yeah, there has to be. Uh, you know, it's good that there's a program like that to kind of, like you say, yeah, well- and readjust. The rotator gives them more stress than anything because it's always broken and delayed. So, that's a lot of my stuff here is like constantly being on your toes with reworking plans and rotator schedule and delays. So, oh, yeah. And it's like you have to decompress. And then two days later, you're like, oh, by the way, you're delayed for three days going home because the rotator is broken. So, like all the decompression out the window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it's good to hear that some things never change. That, some things never, the Navy will never, not the Navy, because this is ran by the Air Force, and they'll never let you down. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. <laughs> uh, well, great. Um, so, you know, looking looking ahead, once you get back from Germany, are you looking at staying in the Navy, making Master Chief someday? What's, what's your plan? Yeah, definitely. I feel like I would not give myself a fair advantage if I did not at least get my look at Master Chief. Um, yeah. Honestly, it's, it's never been about, believe it or not, for me, <laughs> I, I, at least people about, 
I've never, like, I was talking to one of my friends that's a chief, and I'm like, even being a chief, like, it wasn't something that I chased or was like, oh, I got to be a chief. I know it's, like, the pinnacle of most people's, like, careers is to, like, crack over into that E7 rank. Mm-hmm. And I was happy to do it, but now that I've done it, like, anything else is icing on the cake. Sure. Couldn't imagine started out in 2001 that somebody would be calling me senior chief one day. Yeah. So... Yeah. If I was to get into the Master Chief realm, obviously it would it would be a problem, man. Right? Because obviously I'm one of the first generation military. Yeah. To have that, you know, like, hey, someone in your family was a Master Chief. It would be pretty cool. Yeah. But if it happens, it happens. I, I'm not hung up on on the rate stuff. Just more so, I love taking care of sailors and just helping people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. And going back to that, making Chief, what was what was that like? I mean, BM one, you know, quick quick taking the test but of course becoming chief is way more involved when and how did that happen that oh my god i've been a chief i made chief i want to say 2016 probably i'm guessing around there yeah so it was it was shocking (laughs) (laughs) yeah you find out you're board eligible and oh boy now what i mean i've always been someone that put the work in but i've always feel like the work will come with its rewards. I've never, like I said, I've never chased the rank. I've just did what I was supposed to do. And if it's good enough, it's good enough. Mm-hmm. And um, so making chief, yeah, it was exciting. It was. Yeah. Um, the process was was tough mentally. It's like going through boot camp again, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Um, but I learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> yeah. A lot of development throughout the process. But it was it was really exciting. And I was just. That was like the first time my family, because I, you know, when you're in active duty, your family doesn't really get to be up close and personal unless oh, you're married. True. Yeah, yeah, that's with true. That's so that was the first time like my family, my friends were able to actually witness like a promotion ceremony and one of that magnitude too. Yeah, it felt pretty good. To finally, have them understand like the pinnacle of what's happening in my life in the military. So yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. That is great. Yeah, especially to to have them present like that. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, uh, all right. So definitely you're, you're open to, uh, to making master chief and you've been senior chief for what about year and a half, two about years two. now. So next year, April will be my, my first look at master chief. So I highly doubt I'll be a first time upper, but, um, I got some time. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. He's selecting anybody now. Yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm excited if it if it does happen. I think outside of making chief, mm-hmm. that will probably be one of the most memorable moments if if that happens for me in the navy. And I, I can't ask for anything more. I've made it to the the pinnacle of what it's all about. So yeah, yeah. Now uh, the other thing, well, and this is this is going to be getting into inside baseball, but with with EPU one hundred two, I think. You came into that unit not long before I did, so like end of 2019, beginning of 2020, yeah. right? Over 2019, yeah. Now, did you have uh, any grasp as to, or any experience as to what the unit did and you were prepared for it, or it's like, why are they pulling me? What am I doing? <laughs> no, so I'm very, I've always been very strategic in my career. Hopefully you've learned that by now that I've only yes. had two years stations. I don't think most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, my goal in the reserves has always been, like, I've left active duty 
active duty took a lot from me, like my time, my life, my everything, right? Sure. So when I joined the reserves, I always had an outlook that I have to see what I can get from the military now. Like, what is the military going to give me? How is it going to benefit me in a sense? Yeah. So I've always been thinking, I love to travel. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be in the reserves, I'm only going to pick units that made me travel <laughs> if I'm, I'm going to be overseas. So every unit I've ever been in, I've always been an overseas billet yep. for a very so I actually was up for orders and I knew about EPU. I knew that they had a, a overseas mission mm-hmm. and that was a driving factor in, in coming to that unit. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, yeah. And you were, you were there for, yeah, right about two and a half years and now, now off to, yeah. uh, to Germany. Now I'm off to Germany and I haven't seen anything. I haven't traveled anywhere because <laughs> we lived through COVID and that's <laughs> Rats. Well, yeah, because you were just about ready to do your AT in Japan, right? And yeah, then was, that all got yanked right. away. Yeah. Which, by the way, is very high on my list of places to go. So I was very excited. Yeah. And yeah, so it was like I switched over to this unit and I have not seen that one port, that one anything since I've been here. So oh, and then I left. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, of course. So are, are you... Do you have, are you going back to EPU 102 or do you have your pick of unit to go to? My window for orders. Um, okay. I'll be in my nine months. So if I'm not extended, which I highly doubt I will be because I've already done an extension in the unit. Uh, so okay. yeah. I have to find some other grass to graze at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But somewhere probably out of, out of the Bronx. <laughs> What's that? So that's always the focus. Yes. Be overseas. <laughs> I like it. That's that's a good plan. Yeah, I, I well, I don't I don't know about you, but for me, I I had about a three year break between active duty and reserves. Um, so it was like, okay, well, it'd be kind of like active duty, it'd be like riding a bicycle. And I got to my first reserve reserve unit, and it was like, no, this is I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm never gonna figure yeah. this out. Maybe <laughs> when I reserves, like my first week in the reserves, I said, what the heck is this? Yeah. I can, I cannot be here. And again, um, I've always been fortunate. I meet the right sea lawyers at the right time. Yeah. And another lawyer chief, well, I think he was a first class then. He came to me and he said, hey, you know, he gave me the whole spill. This is what you make it. You focus on what you want to. You kind of pick your own adventure here mm-hmm. and you get what you put in kind of deal. Yeah. And, you know, once he gave me that little pep talk, I got, I took on some some responsibilities that kept me going, like career counselor and, and all these yeah. realms. Um, it just became something that was yeah more interesting to me than just sitting around in a classroom. So, I I yeah. was I was with you. I was ready to get out. I was like, yeah, this is not how I want to spend my weekends. Right, right, yeah, makes makes perfect sense to me. Um, <laughs> and we always kind of cap off every episode with uh, the same basic question uh for anyone looking to join the military today do you have any advice i think if you want to join the military today i would say know exactly what it is you want to get out the military like any other plan create a plan for yourself whether it be four years you know that 20 whatever it is Mm -hmm. um be financially um intuitive one of the worst mistakes I made when I joined the military was not listening to that spill when you were in boot camp and they told you, if you save $100, and it seemed yeah. like 20 years so far, but now I'm 20 years in. And yeah. I wish I would have 
taking a lot of that advice because you're not oh, gonna say you won't get rich in the military because there are ways that you can if you use your make your money work for you so mm -hmm. i would say take advantage of the financial advantages we have as military members the tsp yes. all of those things going overseas like civilians do not have this where they could dump like fifty thousand dollars in their tsp for yeah. the year you know it's cap so mm -hmm. just take advantage of all the financial um opportunities educational opportunities with free courses you could take free certifications yeah. just load up on all the benefits that could benefit you in your life after and always keep thinking about what is life going to be like after you leave the military yep. if it's four years or 20 years you still got to have a plan so yeah that's my advice absolutely well and fantastic advice um <laughs> Because I've met people who swore up and down they'd be lifers out and for. I had people who were fighting tooth and nail to get out that are still in. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, you never know what's going to happen. But like you say, 20 years is a long time. But if people do 20, they're going to be doing something else after that. What, what next? Yeah. Always good to have yeah. a plan. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on so much um, and uh, just leave it open-ended for you. Uh, any any last words or anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? No, I mean, thank you so much for having me. It's, like I said, it was awesome working with you. I'm so thank happy you. to see you on the other side and just doing amazing things. And yeah, this is awesome. I wish I, wish I could start a podcast with Oh, well, uh, if you if you have questions, I, I can show you how to do it. <laughs> Maybe give you probably a little bit longer page of what not to do. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's fun to do. I uh, highly recommend, especially if there's an interest and a passion. Um, you might only have, let's say, maybe nine dedicated listeners. Hey. But but uh, but you get to it's a great uh, networking tool too to to find people of similar interests and and everything else. It's a great community. Great. Well, I'm happy for you. Keep in touch if you have anything. I know I'm always here. I I appreciate that so much, and and same goes for you. If you have questions on podcasting and um, stand up comedy, I mean that's. <laughs> That's about all I got going on, but happy to help. And uh, again, thank you so much and, and all the best to you uh, out there in Germany and uh, upon your return. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a good one. You too, senior. Bye. Bye.